Hey folks, Joyce Vance here. Representative George Santos is back in the news. This time, a House Ethics Committee report accused him of, among other things, using campaign funds for personal purchases and filing false reports with the FEC. In other news, there are a bunch of subpoenas being issued relating to Hunter Biden's cases and investigations. Meanwhile, the judge in Donald Trump's Georgia prosecution issued a protective order barring the release of certain discovery materials. And the Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit heard oral arguments in Trump's challenge to the gag order imposed in his federal election interference case. Preet Bharara and I discuss all that and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing an excerpt from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other exclusive content, become a member of Cafe Insider. Right now through December 3, you can get 50% off the annual membership price for the first year. Just head to cafe.com slash informed. That's cafe.com slash informed. We look forward to having you as a part of the Insider community. Shall we begin with the gag order issue? You know, we should start there. I was reflecting on Monday while this hearing was happening that it's weird to have the Monday before Thanksgiving be a major news day. But I think this was a highly significant development. So just to remind people, you know, there are multiple gag orders in place that are being challenged. The one we're talking about is the one that Judge Chutkin limited gag order placed on Donald Trump with respect to the January 6th related trial that is pending in the District of Columbia court. And as we talked about before in the podcast, it's a tough balance to say, well, Donald Trump is a citizen and is running for political office, the highest office in the land. And so he should be able to say some things, criticize his prosecution in various ways, criticize the judge perhaps and the Justice Department, but not do other things like criticize Jack Smith directly. So it's a tough balance. In any event, Trump's lawyers decided to appeal the limited gag order to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, which had a proceeding, oral argument about it, with a three-judge panel on Monday. Tough questions, as everyone has commented, to both sides, both Jack Smith's office and also to the Trump lawyers. My sense of things, we can go through the, the details and parse these things, is that some form of gag order will remain, but it will probably be modified. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's dead on the money. It was an interesting panel, right? Three judges all appointed by Democrats, two Obama, one Biden appointee. And they pressed the special counsel's office just as firmly as they pressed Trump's lawyers. They had a lot of serious questions for everyone. It was an oral argument about where the lines should be drawn. My takeaway was that the judges believed that there needed to be some form of a gag order in place, but that it should be strictly limited to reflect the realities that a presidential candidate is a defendant without at the same time making too much of that. They did not buy Trump's lawyer's argument that he had an absolute First Amendment right to say anything he wanted to say. We've talked about this before on a number of different occasions, right, where in particular the Trump legal team, and they've had a lot of legal battles over the last five, six, seven years, when they take the position of absolute immunity or absolute protection or an absolute right, they tend not to do very well, right? And I don't know if, how much of that is a function of the lawyers thinking that's a good strategy versus that, plus also combined with it, Donald Trump's insistence on taking an absolute view, right? And here, the idea that 
everything and anything that Donald Trump can say is core political speech, it just doesn't do well. And by the way, these are all different lawyers, different lawyers handling different things, whether it's in response to a subpoena from the Congress or arguing immunity in a, in a trial court in the criminal context or a gag order here. Why do you think they always take the absolutist position? Because it doesn't go well for them. You know, it doesn't. It's a deeply flawed strategy. It always, to me, feels like they're arguing to an audience of one, and maybe Trump won't abide by lawyers who won't do precisely what he wants to do. But in my experience, the best lawyers, and this is very true, by the way, on appeal, because being an appellate lawyer is in some ways a very different skill set from being a trial lawyer. But on appeal, you have to be firm with the client and explain to them which arguments have the potential to win and which arguments aren't really moving your case forward. And one of the most basic things appellate lawyers do is they concede what they have to, right? Here, that would have meant conceding that there's not an absolute line, that there's not an absolute right to engage in any speech, but then giving the court some guidance on lines it could have drawn that would have been a win for Trump. Instead, they completely avoid the meaningful part of the argument. They don't tell the court, here's how we think you should rule. They're just engaging in sort of pie in the sky. Yeah, I thought it might be worthwhile to just mention what in this case needed balancing, right? There's lots of interests in you know any court proceeding. And if you're a lawyer or you're in law school, you're, you're very familiar with what lawyers call and courts call a balancing test. And there are multiple interests that are important, constitutional, legal, ethical, pragmatic, in many court controversies that have to just be balanced against each other. And there's no one right solution. And here you actually have a confluence of a lot of different things, right? You have the interest, and let's see if we can go through them. And this is one of the more complicated, I think, things for a court to have to deal with. Some of these things are are more open and shut that we've discussed on the podcast before. This one on the gag order, they're competing values and considerations in our constitutional system. So one of those values is the protection of free speech, right? And then within that is the particular protection for a thing that does exist, although I think Trump's lawyers argue it overexpansively, core political speech, right? So there's general free speech, core political speech. There's also an interest that the public has and the government has, and in a slightly different way, the defendant has in a fair trial. So you have free speech, political speech, fair trial. Then you also have an interest in protecting people from both intimidation, threat, violence, etc., and then overall, I just made a list when I was preparing for this last night, and I think this matters also, though it's more amorphous, generalized respect for the rule of law and respect for the courtroom and respect for the proceeding. Did I miss anything? No, I think that's a really good list, Preet. And obviously, they don't line up evenly, do they? No. I guess if you're an economist rather than a lawyer, you might say, well, what weight do we accord each of these values and interests? And it, you know, lawyers don't do it that way. Should they? No, I, I think that implicitly you can't try to decide what's the most important here because they're all important, right? How do you weigh the security of courthouse personnel versus the First Amendment right to core political speech? What I think you have to do is try to accommodate as much as you can in a meaningful way. Your point is a good one, though, which is that there's not an absolute right way to do this. This is people of good faith trying to do their best 
which is to your point about the rule of law, restoring confidence. If you have someone like Trump who can hide behind a presidential candidacy while really essentially putting a target on the back of prosecutors or witnesses, that doesn't really promote confidence in the integrity of the system. By the same token, if you completely obliterated Trump's right to engage in speech as a candidate, I don't think that would serve the interests of the rule of law. So it's a balancing act. Yeah, and look, and there's some discussion about balancing in the oral argument on Monday, right? So Judge Millett kept chastising the Trump side saying just by putting a label on what Trump is saying or wants to say, just by labeling it core political speech, she said, begs the question of whether it is in fact political speech or whether it is political speech aimed at derailing or corrupting the criminal justice process. You can't simply label it that and conclude your balancing tests that way, end quote. It's it's not just about putting a name on something. It has to have some substance as well. You know, it's so funny. That's an evergreen criticism of the way Trump operates, right? He calls something something that it is not in an effort to legitimize it. And so that's really the job that's left to the court here because Trump's lawyers refuse to engage in this conversation in a meaningful way. The court offers hypotheticals about what he can and can't do. And they're just not willing to get into that space. They say that everything he does is core political speech. This issue of how to balance these interests and values that are real interests and values that should be respected came up again and again. As the CNN report points out, Millett at one point pressed the assistant special counsel on how the government is balancing Donald Trump's constitutional rights as they seek to partly restrict the former president's speech in the election interference case. Quote, I'm asking your position, which doesn't seem to give much balance at all to the First Amendment's vigorous protection of political speech and the notion that high-profile public figures or government officials who've taken on enormous responsibility like prosecutors can't stand up to some inflammatory language End quote. So I just want to make clear, as we said at the outset, that the court, the panel, was pressing not just the Trump lawyers, but also the government lawyers as well. Yeah, they really were. And the arguments here are very nuanced. That one, I think, is very interesting because she goes on to say, look, these prosecutors are all appearing in this case as a matter of public record. Their names are known. They're public servants. She insinuated that it seemed unlikely to her that Jack Smith would be dissuaded from prosecuting the case because Trump, uh, you know, had ugly stuff to say about him and his family on social media. But then there are deeper issues at stake here. What happens to witnesses seeing Trump's treatment of prosecutors? And if the courts won't stand up to protect the prosecutors, do those witnesses have concerns? How do potential jurors interact? So it's important to say that we shouldn't read too much into any of these individual questions that are asked in oral argument. The court is engaged in this complicated balancing process that we've been discussing. Yeah, further to what we were just discussing— Another one of the judges makes the point about Jack Smith and his team, you know, surely he has a thick enough skin, right? And makes the other point, sort of the point that, you know, Trump can't be made to have one hand tied behind his back. So it shouldn't be the case, per the musing of this judge, that everyone else can say all sorts of stuff about Trump, including in the courtroom, and Trump can't say anything back, right? The way that the judge put it was, Trump can't be forced under a gag order to, quote, speak mismanners while everyone else is throwing targets, end quote, at him during a theoretical GOP presidential primary debate, right? So other people are bringing up the trial and his um, alleged transgressions. He's got to be able to say something back. That seems to be to be not an unfair point. 
No, I thought it was a good point. And, and she was very persistent with this questioning because the government was trying to draw, you know, a tough line here saying, well, Trump can criticize, you know, the administration, but he can't go after Jack Smith by name. And the judge stopped them and said, you know, what does that really mean here? I mean, let's just assume, and she acknowledged Trump hasn't participated in debates, so really what she's talking about is the public square and, and Trump's rallies. But he's being criticized. People, maybe some of the folks running against him in the primary are saying he's under indictment. He could be a convicted felon by the time of the election. He has to, as a candidate, be able to counter that. And, you know, you would expect maybe that he would say the allegations against me are untrue. Of course, that's less Trump style than it is to come out swinging at the actors involved in the criminal justice system. But the judge pointed out that it was appropriate to give him some leeway there. Frankly, though, I think that that's what Judge Chutkin does in this order. She gives Trump a lot of room to roam when it comes to political speech. I think the court, as much as anything, focused on her use of the word targeting, saying that Trump couldn't or, or that anyone in the case that you can't target, for instance, witnesses or prosecutors, and that that language was a little bit vague and speculative. I wonder if the court might not land on directing Judge Chutkin to be more specific in that area. It's also sort of interesting in terms of how the argument unfolded. You know, first of all, the argument was set for 20 minutes per side. Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash informed and sign up for 50% off the annual membership price for the first year. That's cafe.com slash informed. To the many of you who've chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work.